0: The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Genesis, chapter 2. Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Bound Podcast is a compilation of devotional material prepared by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells along with church history and music by various artists who support our teaching. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as pastor at Trinity Lutheran, a Wells Congregation in Nina, Wisconsin. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number one hundred nine. We begin with our Bible truths. When does life begin?
1: Bible Truths question number twelve When does life begin? When does life begin? Who should decide when life begins, God or man? God made man in the beginning from the dust of the earth. Man was lifeless. God breathed the breath of life into man. God's breath was all it took to start life. God began human life through his breath in the beginning, and now life begins at the time of conception. God tells us through David that he gave us life. For you created my inmost being, you made... knit me together in my mother's womb," Psalm 109, verse 13. Some think that life cannot start at conception because babies could not live on their own outside their mother. Thankfully, God has more compassion for the unborn. Humans try to rationalize the ending of an unborn life by making it seem like the baby is not a real life from the time of conception. Is this really how God wants us to treat the life that he gives us? No, he wants us to treat life like he does, precious and holy. Life is a blessing from God, and he not only gives us life on earth, but eternal life with him. What amazing love this is. How can one even consider ending the precious lives of babies before they are born, and not give them the opportunity to live full life of blessings from God, just as we were given by our mothers? Christians trust that every life is a blessing from God, and honor Him through the birth of all babies. Thanks be to God for the gift of life. Also thanks be to God for the forgiveness He grants to those who have taken life or failed to defend it. God's Word on Life from the NIV, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. John 3, chapter 16 For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Proverbs 23, verse 22 Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Acts 3, verse 15 you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. 1 John chapter 2 verse 25, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being; you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made; your works are wonderful, I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in the secret place when i was woven together in the depths of earth your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 before i formed you in the womb i knew you and before you were born i set you apart i appointed you as a prophet to the nations psalm 51 verse 5
0: surely i was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me that was bible truths shared by the elders at st mark's lutheran church in bemidji minnesota and read by philip wells up next we have a song by Koyne from their cd footsteps to the cross Berating
2: light praise the one who frees the prisoners turning blindness into sight praise the one the gospel healing every dread disease calming storms and feeding thousands with the father's word of peace praise the one who blessed the children with a strong yet gentle word Praise the one who drove out demons With a piercing two-edged sword Praise the one sing thirsting the Word Incarnate. Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died and rose victorious that we may know God by grace. Let us sing. true redeemer praise the one who makes us one
0: next we have god's word on first peter shared by pastor mark falk
3: first peter 1 18 to 20 a lamb without defect for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. NIV 1984 To come to face Uh, come face-to-face with a holy God is a universally terrifying experience. When the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai to receive the law, no one had to beg them to stay away from the mountain. They begged Moses to keep God away from them. When Moses came down from his time with God on the mountain, his face was so bright they could not bear to see him. He wore a veil. Now fast forward. Walk down a dusty Palestinian path in the footsteps of Jesus. Little children continue to come up to him to sit in his lap. Mothers bring their babies for him to to minister to in love. Lepers cry for his help. Tax collectors climb trees to see him and gladly accept him in their homes. Had it been any different, had he displayed the glory of the transfiguration, would they have acted this way? At the transfiguration his face shone like the sun, and there was some fear in the hearts of the disciples. But normally Jesus, in his state of humiliation, hides his glory. It's still there, but he hides it. He heals, he raises the dead, he calms the Sea of Galilee. There's some holy or questioning awe in his presence after he performs one of these signs and wonders. But he keeps the glory, at least partially, under wraps. He comes to die on the cross, and glory won't get that done. Only humility. So if sinners want to step into the presence of a holy God, it is the presence of Jesus that we seek. He is a lamb, tender, non-threatening, an animal used for sacrifice every morning and evening at the temple. He is a lamb without blemish or defect. His blood is therefore precious, costly. It is, and this is not picture language, the very blood of the holy God. But the glory is mostly hidden. It must be. This is the way of the cross. Many pass this way and deny what Peter says. They did it in 30 AD, AD, and they still do today. The modern rock opera of apostasy, Jesus Christ Superstar, has Mary Magdalene singing these words of unbelief. He's just a man. He's just a man. This lamb is a man, but he is so much more. He is the fruit of a virgin's womb, conceived there by the Holy Spirit. His gentle exterior hides his divine nature. Only a lamb who is also God can pay for the sins of billions of sinners. Even a perfect man, who is just a man, would not suffice if such a man existed. So we come face to face in Scripture with the Lamb of God. Sometimes he is hungry and tired. Sometimes he is healing blindness or paralysis with a word. Sometimes we see him sleeping in the back of the boat. Sometimes he rises from the boat to calm wind and wave. Many, many miracles he did perform. But most of the time, God veils his identity behind humble human flesh. He's a lamb, and this lamb dies for you. There's nothing to do about it. Only believe and his blood is yours. His perfection covers all of your imperfections. No blemishes now, not when God sees the Lamb of God as your holy covering.
0: God's Word for You is shared
4: by Pastor Timothy Smith. We continue in the book of Job. God's Word for You, Job 36, now reading the first 15 verses. And before we do, let's remember, five men have pondered Job's suffering and wondered why it has taken place. Eliphaz, from the land of wisdom, probed the golden depths of wisdom. Bildad, a relative we think of Abraham's, consulted the precious traditions of his people. Zophar, a cynic, didn't add to these arguments but used stronger language and sarcasm with words as tough as bronze. We found Elihu to be a younger man who, sometimes, profound and ironclad wisdom was mixed with the clay of chattering nonsense. And then there was Job himself. Job stood the test of all of his friends' arguments and stood firmly on his conviction that he was innocent. Chapters 36 and 37 are a transition to the last part of the book. There is no more contemplation on the reason for Job's suffering. Now the author of the great poem uses the words of Elihu to prepare us for the approach of the oncoming thunderstorm. The question that no man can answer beforehand is the one that faces all five of these men now. Are you prepared for the awesome power of our amazing God? Elihu continued, Bear with me a little longer and I will show you that there is more to be said in God's behalf. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my Maker. Be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. Well, here Elihu is a lot closer to a Christian's view about God's justice But he says a little more, he speaks rather a little bit more confidently than we would like him to when he says things like, I have perfect knowledge and listen to me because I'm among you and so forth. Verses five to seven. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. Here Elihu seems to mean this, that just because God is almighty doesn't mean he doesn't consider us or care for us. He keeps his eye on us and he provides for our needs. But notice that Elihu continues to think that God will uphold everyone who is downtrodden in this lifetime. And there he's missing the point. Verses 8 and following. But if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, he tells them what they have done and they, that they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. If they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. I know someone who worked for the justice system who was convinced that jails and prisons only had one purpose, and that was to reform the convicted. I think that a judge today would disagree, that in many cases, jails and prisons have at least two other purposes. First, to punish wrongdoing, and second, and this is maybe the most important one, to contain those who pose a threat. In these verses, Elihu describes God's chastening in terms of reform. God wants us to repent of sin and to turn our lives and our hearts back to him. But there is still the threat of punishment. Without repentance, without trusting in God for forgiveness and grace, there is only punishment in the end, and that punishment would be eternal. As Isaiah says in the very last verses of his book, their uh, worm uh, never, uh, or rather uh, the the fire never ends and their worm uh, uh, never fails. Verses 13 and following. The godless in heart harbor resentment. Even when he fetters them, they do not cry for help. They die in their youth among male prostitutes of the shrines. But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. The comment to Job here is this, the godless resent God's chastisement. So Job, if you resent this, you must secretly be godless. Um this reminds me of the of the, the story um that's actually a, a play. I think it's by Aeschylus, or it might be Aristophanes, but it's called Prometheus Bound, where Prometheus the firebringer is uh is bound in chains by Zeus and actually by a servant of Zeus. And he does nothing throughout the whole play but curse Zeus and curse everybody else in the world. Um and that's just how the thing sort of plays out is with his his bitter resentment of what's happened to him because of his rebellion. And that's a little bit what Elihu is talking about uh, here when he talks about those who are punished by God, who don't learn from that and just bitterly rebuke God for what he's done. Now, verse 14, um, let me read it again because it's not easy to understand. It says, They die in their youth among male prostitutes of the shrines, Now, the second half of that verse says literally in Hebrew, their life is with male shrine prostitutes. The King James Version said their life is unclean. And maybe that's the idea behind the verse. The the whole passage together gives a sense of tragedy and shame. And the parallelism contrasts an earthly death death, and a shameful life. I, I suppose they die young, their life with shameful homosexual whores. That's Elihu putting godlessness in its strongest terms. Look at how great their shame is. But what about the godly? Elihu just calls them those who suffer. God tests those he loves and chastens those he wants to turn from sin. That's why we keep reaching out to him. That's why we keep turning from our sin and praising him in good times as well as in bad times. There is some strange wordplay also in verse 15. Let me reread that one too. But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. Now the word delivers, um, yachalets, sounds a lot like in their affliction, which is balachetz. I think the author of the poem is actually employing a rhyme which is something we don't expect to hear in Hebrew poetry, although there is some in Isaiah, and as we've seen here and there in Job, our lives are stained by our sins. We keep turning back to God, the one who delivers us in our repentance. We cry for help. We cry in our affliction, our balachets, and he yalachates, he delivers us. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. We'll close with
0: another song from Footsteps to the Cross by Koine. My song is Love Unknown.
2: love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless, sure that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die?
4: A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter
3: replied.
2: He came from his blasphemer salvation to bestow, but such disdain so few the longed for Christ would know. But oh my friend, my friend indeed, who at my need his life did spend. Sometimes they strew His way And His sweet praises sing Resounding all the day Hosannas to their King Then crucify is all their breath And for His death they thirst and cry What has my Lord done What makes this rage and spite He made the lame to run He gave the blind their sight Sweet injuries Yet they had these Themselves displeased And gains him right
4: later another asserted certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied man I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking the rooster crowed the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today you will disown me three times,
1: and he went outside and wept bitterly.
2: stay and sing No story so divine Never was in love, dear King Never was grief like thine This is my friend In whose sweet praise I all my days could gladly spend
0: You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast. This episode was first shared in February of 2016. For more information, visit canaanboundpodcast.com where you can find other episodes as well as information on the artists who support our teaching. My song is we encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us. Love to the loveless,
2: sure that they might love be.